On this episode of the Phoenix Magazine podcast, we dive into the brand new September-October issue, The Foodie Bucket List. Today's episode is brought to you by Garrison Brothers Bourbon. The high fashion takeover is Garrison Brothers' celebration of America's favorite cocktail, the Old Fashioned. Bars and restaurants will create innovative old-fashioned specials that feature Garrison Brothers handcrafted bourbons. And as you embark on a high fashion journey, don't forget to share your experience on Instagram and Facebook. With every post, you become a part of something greater. Garrison Brothers will make a donation of $2 for every post to Boot Campaign to support their life-changing programs for veterans and military families. Follow these three steps to share your high fashion experience at participating locations. First, take a picture of your high fashion cocktail or take a few. Number two, tag and follow Garrison Bros and at Boot Campaign. And then three, use the hashtag high fashion to showcase your love for this iconic cocktail and help raise money for boot campaign. Every post counts as an entry for a chance to win a unique Garrison Brothers prize package. This one-of-a-kind prize package will include a custom-engraved barrel stave, four Garrison Brothers Glencairn glasses, an embroidered Garrison Brothers apron, and a $50 gift card from Boot Campaign to be used on their website shop.bootcampaign.org. Ten winners who post the most during the month of September on Instagram and Facebook collectively will be selected at the conclusion of the program. Please make sure your account or the account you post from is public so that we can keep track of the of the donations. Participating locations in the Phoenix area include Crown Public House, Liberty Station, Pitch Scottsdale, and Pitch Cavasson, just to name a few. For more information, visit the website highfashion.com. That's high, H-Y-E, highfashion.com. Now here's Craig and Leah joining me on the podcast. All right, we have a uh, very two very special guests joining me uh, this week on the podcast in the podcast room here. It's uh, Craig OTA, our editor in chief, Phoenix Magazine, and Liam Lemoyne, the managing editor. Two very fun names. You guys ever like get uh, people confused that maybe you're French or <laughs> Canadian or Louisiana or anything like that? I wish more often, not, not too often. It doesn't happen. No, I like being confused with a Louisiana. It's nice. <laughs> And I am a Louisianan from my dad's side, so. Oh, there you go. I nailed it on that one. Um, So, uh, for those who don't know, the news uh, issue of Phoenix Magazine, now on newsstands, um, as we're recording this on August 31st, just went on newsstands today. It it is all about the the cover story has the foodie bucket list. And for for those who are picking up the magazine or want to get into the fine dining or maybe things that Leah explain what the kind of the um, whole impetus of the uh, foodie bucket list. What's the story behind that? Yeah, so Craig had this great idea to do a foodie bucket list, and we wanted to make sure we did kind of a mix of things, so some very high-end, luxurious experiences, but also some more affordable, you know, budget-minded things, so that way people, you know, no matter your budget, you can still have a fun foodie bucket list adventure. So we have everything from um, cheap taco crawls to very expensive prefix menus, so... And, all over the board. Uh, so I went through the issue, and I haven't tried a whole lot of these places. How many of you guys tried? Most of them. Yeah. Um, uh, quite a bit, actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, it's kind of a um, it's sort of the product of years of research, I guess, you know? <laughs> and yeah, because a, you... A way to download everything that, you know, we've done and our food writers have done. I, Leah wrote a good portion of it, 
then uh, our, our dining critic, Nick Buchanan, did a lot of the lifting, and then mm-hmm. uh, Marilyn Hawks, one of our other writers, too. But yeah, I've done, I've done all the, those, those in-town, you know, tasting menu-type situations. Those are all great. I've done them. Have you done them? I haven't done Christopher's. I haven't been there yet. Oh, you should. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done a lot because I'm a much pickier eater than Craig. So Craig is the easiest going eater I yeah, know. Yeah, he doesn't like spicy food. <laughs> I can't Craig will try anything, right? Yes, he will. What else do you like? Eggs? I don't like eggs. And what I don't, the hell? <laughs> and I don't like raw proteins. Doesn't like, so so sushi. <laughs> I don't love sushi and I don't love like a carpaccio or a right. tartare. So that eliminates a couple of those in there. That What was it? Shinbei right. and High Shinbei. Noon? Yeah, High Noon. Uh any of the, yeah, any of the elite sushi places. Exactly. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. So if if money was no object of some of those places that you feature right at the front of the article, what would it be? What would you go for? If you had to pick. Yeah, Binkley's or Shinbei. Those are, you know, those are amazing experiences. And then uh, what would also I mean it wasn't just the high end. Yeah, you had that stay things. at Terra Farm feature Terra in Farms there, which is um, a little spendy, but um, like if money was no object, that would be amazing, right? One hundred percent. And actually, like if you factor in the extremely personalized service that you get there, and they're cooking a gourmet meal for you every meal, and giving you snacks and cigars and wine tastings, like it actually is a good deal. It's crazy to say that, but for all that you get. It is. They seem to just pamper you from the as soon as you get out of your car, right? Yes. They're like, here's some champagne. Welcome. Would you like some freshly baked cookies? I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. You can uh, toss a football around on the lawn. Yes. It's fun. There's a lot to do there. I, they were, you know, initially they had an idea for a winery. Mm-hmm. But then the, there was a storm, I think, that destroyed yeah. the vineyard. Yeah. Agriculture and that's kind of in the Prescott area? Is that? It is. It's outside of Prescott uh, on this very large ancestral family estate mm-hmm. and um they built a you know beautiful uh home out there but not just a home i mean it's a compound really. yes mm-hmm. very a nice compound yeah luxury compound yeah. and yeah for sure uh yeah so it's great yeah great experience i would yeah i mean I, of all the bucket list experiences in the magazine or in the article that you wrote i think that's probably the most classic yes and you it's know. the most unique, I think, too, yeah, and, how and inclusive it is. Probably expensive. Yes. That'd be one you'd brag about for a while, 100%, right? 100%, And yes. look forward to and just kind of remember the, remember the good time that you had there. Um, right after that, the uh, kind of in the same, along the same lines, the, the stay at Arcasani for a month. I was reading that kind of thinking, like, that's a, that, that might be like a perfect uh, setting for like a survivor-type reality show, you know? It's a strange little scene Who can survive growing there. their own food for a month, right? Yeah. I mean, Arkasani itself is, I mean, a, a must-visit place in Arizona. It's such an odd, you know, experience. They've, it's a, it was invented by the, the architect, Pallas Larry, and it was an uh, arcology, an experimental um, self-contained city. And you go there, and there's like, you know, it, part of it's a... Um, amphitheater or a, in, you know, um, kind of an amp- outdoor, indoor uh, performance space surrounded by apartments. So they had a music festival out there for a couple of years called Form. That was awesome. And it was the first time I'd seen it. But there, you know, there are people that live out there. They're um, architecture students and, and I guess, you know, acolytes of yes. Palisolari. And they, they've managed to make a go of it over the years. So for uh, they had this this program for a month. You can live there, work on their farm, cook, 
And it's surprisingly inexpensive. It's like, what, 1500 Yeah, uh, 1750 Right, and which is kind of cheaper than life. Yes. You are working. That is one thing. Right. <laughs> it's but delayed. learning skills, marketable right. skills. I mean, yeah, really. We've, yeah. we've talked a lot of, uh, on the other on the other magazine, Phoenix Home and Garden, a lot of architects and um, builders and stuff kind of learn by living there for a month or a summer or something along those lines. Yeah. So it was a fun feature. You know, the fun thing for me for this magazine was debating what to put on the cover. We uh, usually we have a cover idea set. You know, we we shoot for the cover. You know, we, when we send photographers out to shoot the feature, they are consciously taking cover shots, shots that would look good in the cover, shots that have that, you know, that vertical perspective. For sure. And this time, we, we were pretty certain the foodie bucket list would be the cover. But we also had this uh, true crime history story uh, that uh, a local writer named Dawson Fear Now. I think it's Fear Now. We were debating if it's Fear No or Fear Now. Right. We'll go with Fear Now fear since now. he writes about the, fear now sounds like the a mafia. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a horror, like, you know, Saturday morning horror movies with Dawson Fear Now, something like that. He I don't would know. love that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we this is a best lawyers issue. We have this uh, list of yep. Valley lawyers. It was a vote. We thought, hey, why not pair the best lawyers list with a, a some kind of heavy tri- true crime story, something. So we had Dawson, who has a he's a local writer and he has a, a real uh, affinity for true crime and mostly the mob history of in Phoenix, the various car bombings and so forth. Yeah, what an unbelievable story. It kind of makes you wonder, yeah. like, how many of these bad guys are still living among us? I'm sure there's a lot. Well, specifically, he approached the idea of the witness protection program. Yeah. So they're sort of reformed bad guys. And uh, Arizona's role in in that, the history of the witness protection program, you know, when, they, when a mob uh, thug decides to turn state's evidence uh, on his former colleagues... What happens to them after they testify in court? You know, they get new identities. Often it seems like they're sent out here. So he kind of dug into the history of that. And, you know, there is kind of a rich history of, of mob, um, you know, mob turncoats uh, finding uh, sanctuary in Phoenix. Yeah. And he got into that. So we, so we, great story. So we also did an illustration of the, of that story. You know, it's a history story. So we have all these black and white photos, but, you know, we also wanted something that might be cover-worthy. So we, uh, Morel Inglefield, the art director, did this um, composite uh, art piece that we wanted to have the same, you know, the same kind of look, generally energy as a pulp fiction cover. So we thought either that or maybe the food. We, You know, maybe we could just let them duke it out, give them both broken pull cues and see which one becomes our cover. And uh, it wasn't really much of a fight at the end of it. <laughs> I mean, we've got Sammy the Bull in the, you know, it's a cool image, Sammy the Bull, exploding truck. Mm-hmm. But I mean, then, you know, you pit, you pit that against this beautifully shot piece of haute cuisine on a... Some uh, foie in wild mushroom soup yeah, from Christopher's, right? Right, on like custom china. And it's like, oh, come on, Sammy the Bull or foie gras? It's got to be the foie. There really wasn't much support at the end for the Sammy the Bull and the exploding truck. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we have the... Uh, but then it was just a matter of which nice piece of uh, perfectly lit haute cuisine we were going to pick for the cover, and that was always fun, too. Sure. We had a few few candidates. Yeah, Not I love just, that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, the, the story by Dawson kind of is, is, makes you think about that, the, the term we use, witness protection, because it seems more to be 
bad guy relocation might be a more appropriate term for that program um, because you can't really take the mafia out of the man when you remove the man from the mafia. It seems this is like they're just always up to bad stuff regardless of, well, of that, where they go. That's an interesting – it's a limiting uh, phenomenon because the, the only – instances that we're aware of where the it didn't work were the ones like you say where the mobsters couldn't help themselves and they they went back to their old ways you know and they they for instance sammy the bull started selling ecstasy yeah i mean you know how, how low a profile was he really trying to achieve but then there must there are maybe the dozens who knows maybe hundreds of uh you know of turncoat mobsters who've come here and maybe have laid low we don't know about them because maybe it's working for them yeah they've done a good job of it for sure so we're not you know there's kind of a there's a sort of built-in uh opacity where we don't really know we're not supposed to know but when we do you know when the program does fail and these guys like go back to the you know they are well i mean they're you know sometimes they're murdered uh, <laughs> you know the exploding yeah. truck. You know, then, then of course we know uh, we're aware of the failures, but the successes are, are, are remain that way and for remain sure. secret forever. So, all right, so maybe yeah, maybe there's a, a different perspective <laughs> on the on the program. Um, I want to ask you about the Matt Ishbia story because you you wrote um, about the the son's new owner and. There's been some criticism. I was list, I was like listening to to Bill Simmons, um, and he describes him as having new owner syndrome, just coming in, just flopping the money all over the table and yeah. pretending like he knows better. Is that what what would what would you say your your takeaway from talking to him was? Yeah, no, he's seen, he's a um, you know interesting uh, dude. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I you know I got the I definitely was not playing, you know, hanging out at his house or any of that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just his basketball, his me, you know, his his basketball man, I um, I would say that's pretty accurate. He's come in and, and wanted to make a splash and did. Uh, he's um, he does know basketball pretty well. Uh, he was a player at Michigan State, a walk-on point guard. And he surrounds himself with all his kind of former teammates and right. guys that he idolized growing up. He does. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, who was the great uh, Detroit Pistons point guard, is on his board, the uh, mortgage company he owns. Several of the guys he played with at Michigan State uh, National Championship Team 2000 uh, work for him at uh, United Wholesale Mortgage, which he owns. Um, he, you know, he described himself as the, you know, quote-unquote small, short, or short, smart point guard yeah. who understood the game, was very useful in practices because he could play the, you know, for instance, Mateen Cleaves was their big star. If they knew who was guarding Mateen Cleaves, he'd play the patsy. He'd play that, that defender. they tried try to scheme for what the team would do uh, that was playing Michigan State. He'd do all that stuff. He understood mm-hmm. the X's and O's. He, may, he actually was a student uh, coach after playing for a little bit. I think he entertained the idea of being a coach. So, I, you know, when he, you know, he's, he definitely knows more about the game than the average owner. Yeah, to me, it was like he's the first, he's one of the first modern NBA owners in the sense that he's very young. He's the youngest NBA majority owner at this point. Uh, he's 43. Um, he's modern in the sense that he's not from here. Like every previous Suns owner has had pretty deep Valley roots. Sure. Uh, you had Jerry Colangelo, who, you know, moved to the Valley in the 60s to coach the Suns. Uh, and. 
became their general manager, and you know his roots were quite deep by the time he became the owner. Um, before that, the the owners were the you know the original owners of the team were all uh, local guys with local money. So Matt Matt Ishbia, and then of course Robert Sarver is from Tucson, Arizona yep. guy. Um, Mashby is the first, you know, owner who's, you know, truly kind of a carpetbagger. I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's from a different part of the country. Uh, he was one of the, you know, it, it's become, owning a sports team has become not just a rich man's game, obscenely rich man's game. Oh, you, yeah. don't, you can't just find the local millionaire to buy yep. it. You've got to maybe reach across a continent or an ocean to find that person who has, in this case, I think it was $4.3 billion. Yeah, something in the four bill. Something yeah. in the four billion range, right. And, he, you know, he, but he, I asked him that. He said, uh, you know, it wasn't just that it was the only team available. You know, he, he says that the Suns were a, are an elite. He's, you know, portrays the team or, or uh, thinks of the team in the market as an elite NBA market. And he was absolutely thrilled that they were available and surprised. He liked the idea of uh, owning a team that had Devin Booker uh, under contract for several years, who's also from Michigan. Michigan guy, yeah. And clearly one of the bright young stars in the league. So, you know, he, he didn't uh, – he, he poo-pooed the notion that it was, you know, just the team that was available, you know. It wasn't like just the yeah. Memphis Grizzlies came up for sale and, oh, okay, I guess I'll buy yeah. them. Um, that being said, I think he's going to remain a Michigan guy primarily. You know, he, his uh, – you know, United Wholesale Mortgage is Detroit-based, uh, Pontiac, Michigan-based, and uh, – He's building a rather large house there, from what I understand, still. And, I've uh, heard the details on this. So yeah. It's just like a kid's little kid's dream, right. and it's like, th- so he's got. I think he's got three or four kids, and three kids, yeah. Man, they are lucky to have him. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm, this is like a Wonderland uh, type of place. It's it's obscene the the details on on this. Um, and he has good for them. The way he describes it, he has uh, you know his his buddies and his boys from the team who work for him bring their families over a lot so i you know it sounds like the kind of place that he wanted heck yeah um so yeah uh it's going to be an interesting season you know this is the first full season he'll be owner uh he also got bradley beal over the off season as you're aware uh, it's one of those things as a as a sons diehard sons fan that i am in my house is a just we're diehard sons fans right we we cannot wait we i mean we've been so anticipating this season for all summer and we've had this great playoff run or not playoff, but baseball team here um you know fighting for a playoff football season starting like when is basketball season that's we cannot wait for basketball around here and that is that is saying something that is how uh tishby's point and this is a basketball market they're the first big sports team to pro sports team to come here people love the suns i think on a level that even they don't love the diamondbacks or the Cardinals. I mean, certainly they have those teams have their diehard fans, but I, you know, the roots, the Suns' roots go, I think, a little deeper. And uh, you know, we've never had a championship here in 55 years. Uh, it's a pretty long run to go dry. So um, he, but the way that Matt Ishbia describes it, he has this kind of vision for Phoenix becoming, you know, a market that can compete for free agents. That's mm-hmm. a big thing, right? They can compete for free agents, bring the best players in here. Uh, he, he thinks we can compete with the lights of New York and Los Angeles. We can avenge ourselves on them. I think that's part of his vision, and I think he's going to find a lot of takers uh, for that vision. If he can make it come true, I mean, obviously, everyone will be uh, elated. And when you hear him, he has this kind of evangelical energy about it. Like, you know, makes you want to believe. Craig, <laughs> could we do a Suns podcast throughout the regular season yeah. this year? 
Maybe, um, maybe Matt could be the <laughs> guest host. Yeah, bring in Matt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, one thing that I found really interesting in Craig's article was kind of the contrasts of Ishbia. Like, on the one hand, he's very cerebral and approaches the game that way. But then on the other hand, he's having like little tantrums and fights with people. So I think that's very compelling psychologically and certainly to watch. I think she's thinking of the, the scene in the uh, playoffs last year where Ishbia had the ball. It was like a loose ball. and Yeah. And you can't. You can't ever take that that energy, that gamesmanship out of a former player. They they right. want to be out there, you know, just as much. They just age and everything caught up with them. Well, um, like Jokic pulled, the, yeah. you know, and they fought for that. Was great. I mean, it was like, it was definitely an interesting uh, entree into, you know, the stage of professional basketball in Phoenix on an important national stage with yeah. so much. I was I was at that game and it was crazy from the tip so loud in there and it was one of those things when it happened you're like all right he, he the player you could see the player Jokic because of his size over there there was some co- sort of commotion but in the arena you had no idea who it was until the guy next to him was Isaiah Thomas the former piston and pretty much his best friend right he's sitting next to him you see Isaiah Thomas so you assumed oh the owner Matt Ishbia must be there because of their connection they're always sure. sitting by each other yeah so in the arena we couldn't really tell and to and people started getting on their phones and whatever but obviously on TV it was it was much more amplified and people understood what was going on um I'd always kind of hoped that he pushed for Jokic to get suspended a little bit harder but he yeah. kind of let that kind of slide uh as think, a new owner i don't know if you have that much i think he's a player guy standing. I, don't, I don't think he want he wants to go around disciplining players right i think he right. likes players sure so that's probably part of it you know and uh of all the rivalries the Suns have uh, you know the nuggets just don't seem like one of the more uh, passionate ones i you know uh i think the interesting rivalry now is and it's not a, certainly the Cleveland Cavaliers are not a natural rival of the Suns. Different conference, right. just not no intersecting history that anyone has any real bad feelings about. But that team's owned by Dan Gilbert, who's also a Detroit-based mortgage mogul. Uh, the mortgage to- wars might be the most intense rivalry in any business. Right. May, I mean, more than sports. There, there are some. There's some wild stories. Their companies have battled and continue to battle. Yeah. So that's a subtext that I think is interesting. The Suns and the Cavs will play twice this year that, yep. because they're in different conferences, and those those two games might have an interesting uh, subtext. We'll yeah. See yeah, they definitely hate each other. Let's take a quick break to remind you about the High Fashion Takeover from Garrison Brothers Bourbon. It's a celebration of America's favorite cocktail, the Old Fashioned. In September, bars and restaurants will create old, innovative old-fashioned specials that feature Garrison Brothers' handcrafted bourbon. I went to pitch Cavasson last week and had the Honeydew, old-fashioned, made with the Honeydew Garrison Brothers, uh, some drambuie, honey, simple, uh, fantastic. Uh, As you embark on this high-fashion journey, just like I did, don't forget to share your experience on Instagram and Facebook. With every post, you become a part of something greater. Garrison Brothers will make a donation of $2 for every post to Boot Campaign to support their life-changing programs for veterans and military families. For more information, go back to the website, highfashion.com. That's high, H-Y-E, highfashion.com. Let's uh, let's finish on our um, other big story, the seven last-second adventures. 
for summer. Um, Leah, I, I was kind of going through that. I saw you got the Lubbock assi- assignment. I was kind of like, oh, man, Leah, what what's going on there? But you actually uncovered some really cool stuff about there. Had had you been before and had you known about some of the things there or were, what, were you surprised by some of the things you found there? Yeah, I actually volunteered for Lubbock because my partner is from there. So we go there to visit his family a lot. But I'm sure anybody who, you know, goes and visits their family, you go to the same three places all the time, the same restaurants, and we're not really going out and doing things as much. So I loved seeing the um, the way that the city has grown from when he grew up there to now. Um, there are all these cool wineries. One winery has been around since he was born, 1976. So they're like a pioneer of Texas wine. Mm-hmm. And um, I think like 80 to, I think around 80% of the whole state's wine grapes are grown in the Lubbock area, which is really cool. Texas wine is definitely emerging like Arizona wine. Um, and then I was really most impressed by the Nicolette, which is um, a cool restaurant started by a Lubbock native who worked in Napa. And we got to dine in this really gorgeous greenhouse. Um, it's on the former estate of an artist. So there's all these cool artistic touches everywhere. Yeah. And really good food. Is that the one that was uh, Bon Appetit, Best New Restaurant yes. a couple years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And just like our people, like Charlene Badman, who uses a lot of local Arizona ingredients, he's really passionate about using Texas ingredients. So. Yeah. Yeah, check out that article because Craig found some places where you can actually go walk around in the summer, right? It's uh, kind of a foreign concept to us Phoenicians. I mean, here's the weird calculus about traveling in uh, in September. I mean, I love traveling in late summer. It's you know the crowds are not quite as intense. Kids are back to school. Well, well, there's that, and still horribly, it's still miserable generally speaking in in Phoenix. But yeah, now that I have kids. It's not really practical yep. because, you know, going on vacation right after school starts never seems to be the right way. So, the, yeah, this was kind of conceived as maybe something that, you know, if you do if you don't have kids or you just have a weekend to get out of town in September, October. You know, there's a few California trips. I love going to California in, in late summer, early fall. The Santa Ana winds are kicking up. You know, it's still the water's still warm. Uh, you know, there aren't as many crowds. Generally, it's cheaper. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's. We do six issues a year of Phoenix Magazine, and every one of them has travel content. But I feel feel like this is, you know, the, the November-December issue won't have a lot because no one's leaving town in no. generally in December if you don't have to. They're going maybe to someone's grandma's house in the Midwest. But not, usually not for fun, quote-unquote. Yep. Um, but this shoulder season uh, time frame we're in september october yeah i think it's a good a good travel season so it we want to get yeah. you want to get like a um a travel piece yeah some great recommendations in there yeah. and you went to uh you went down I, to i have a couple words in that article yeah i yeah. went down to wilcox and Sonoida for the one brewery towns right checked out um i w- when we had speaking good good plug for arizona craft beer awards it's coming up outside yeah wow i was that. like you know i had my glasses off i'm like what's going <laughs> breaking on breaking news craig's yeah, breaking right. news here on the podcast <laughs> it's raining and uh so torito farm the brewery at torito farm had submitted right. and i'd never heard of it so before. it's a, it's wilcox which it's is a wilcox, a yeah. lot of wine growers are there but never a brewery that we had heard of yeah and you know there are the, the idea was you know there are um great beer towns all through arizona prescott flagstaff tucson phoenix but there are also towns that just have one. Yep. And you know they're a little hard to get to, and they don't have the density, so you're not going on a beer tour. So let's give, let's shine the light on those guys. And you found this one in Wilcox, owned by a, a cardiologist from Tucson yep. called Torito, right? Yep. Sal Torito and his wife Yuri own this this property, and they turned it into a farm that 
it, one of the things that I, I didn't get in the article, but that I found fascinating was their um, the I forget the the name of it, but it, they host uh, RVs. Oh, um, harvest host. Yeah, harvest. Yes. They're, so they're a harvest host, and they're mm-hmm. apparently a really popular harvest host along the route um, all over the country. RV travelers can stay at these farms, right? And they're one of them. But how many of those have a winery, a exactly. brewery, and a restaurant? So definitely popular. fantastic yeah. restaurant. <laughs> uh, they do tours. They'll they'll take they have paintball out on the farm. You can go bring your paintball squad. And do that. Um, so a lot of stuff to check out down there. And a there. couple of guests, if you're not guest suites. Yep. Get, so I, I was like, we'll do a bigger piece on them later. That's just a really interesting um, what they're trying to achieve there. Yeah. Kind of like built in bomb shelters. Oh, that's interesting. Twelve bomb shelters connected to make this whole building that houses the brewery, the guest suites, the kitchen. And that's what it was. Uh, this before. retail store. It it was nothing out there. It was just wine growing vineyards, so you know. It doubles as a bomb shelter. They repurposed bomb shelters. I, they yeah. said, yeah, they kind of jokingly said it 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 could serve as a you know when the well, zombie well, apocalypse. I'm saying hits. was it was it a scratch build where they just build it from scratch? Yep. Oh, but oh. it's also a bomb shelter. Yep. <laughs> no, well, it's built out of bomb shelters. Oh, oh I see. They took it from somewhere else. Yeah. Repurposed yeah. It. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. So it's above oh, ground, but it kind of from above the way they situated like gravel and uh, dirt and things on top of. It looks like from above that there's nothing there. It's just uh, just ground. Oh, so is that like for to insulate? Yeah. Units? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, again, that sounds amazing. It sounds uh, similar to the Terra Farms. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe on a less... Um, a less uh, what would you say? Um, ultra lux. <laughs> yeah, ultra lux level or or hospitality driven, but mm-hmm. it sounds great. Yeah, I really want to hit that. Maybe, maybe a expanded coverage thing. Yeah, they do have an Oktoberfest coming up at the end of September. Um, so that's a good opportunity to get out there to Wilcox check out what they're doing at the uh, the Torito Farm. And you know, it's funny. Uh, one last thing for Leah, the the back of the book section on the what's in your chef bag yeah so i know it's i think it's an intern but leah mosquito is that that's not like your pen name <laughs> no. or anything that's a that's another person right yeah it was weird emailing my intern leah <laughs> <laughs> hey leah it's leah leah mosquito it does sound like a made-up leah name yeah like a soap opera star i told her <laughs> i like it uh so make sure to check out the new issue phoenix magazine on newsstands now it's the Foodie bucket list. Anything else you guys want to add about about the issue? I I really had uh, a good time reading through all of the bucket list stuff, the uh, the travel and the the especially the the incognito the mafia story. Um, love that stuff. So um, there's a reader reader photo contest. Yeah, shout out to our winner. I have his name here, Frank Frank Caserta. Mm-hmm. Got a nice shot of the McDowell Mountain sunrise and sunrises and sunsets were dominating this year. Yeah, the magic hour. Uh, good, good proof that it's okay to shoot into the sun sometimes. Sometimes ph- photographers, yeah. uh, mostly photographers, don't like to shoot in the sun, but I guess at sunrise or sunset, it's okay. Right. It's it, gentler, and as Craig put in the intro, like wrinkle. Re- removing wrinkle reducing <laughs> yes. yeah it, crevice filling light <laughs> i voted for the for the photo from seligman so uh charles my my apologies my votes were not enough to carry you yeah that's the one right there the route 66 photo and we'll, yeah, we'll that put that really up cool. on the that'll, that'll go up online everyone can see that on phoenixmag.com 
There's always next year, Charles. Yeah, always next year. Well, Craig and Leah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate you. It's also in this issue of Phoenix Magazine, now on newsstands. Make sure to check out the events uh, section because we have all the details on the Arizona Craft Beer Awards and Festival coming up October 21st. It's in Glendale. We hope to see you there. You can get your tickets for the beer festival at tickets.phoenixmag.com. Tickets.phoenixmag.com. Just look for the big logo that says Arizona Craft Beer Festival. We're having our awards coming up here in a couple weeks, and we will celebrate them at the festival on October 21st. That'll do it for today's episode of the Phoenix Magazine podcast. God willing, we will see you here next week.